Alrighty, Simon, why don't you welcome people back? All right, folks, you better welcome back to another episode of Maybe Next Time. I am your host, William Blueworth, my co-host to Simon McCormack. Nets Nation, you better vote now. <laughs> and even if you do, there's a good chance you vote for <laughs> We are Not back as we are each and every unrelenting week to bring you all things Election Nation. Uh, <laughs> not really. All things Nets Nation, of course. This is the podcast in which Simon and I delve deep into the latest Nets news for the past week. And Simon, as always, this has been an eventful week in Nets Nation. I want to start in one of the happiest corners on planet Earth. It has nothing to do with KD. It has a lot to do, Simon, with the assistant coach's corner. corner. <laughs> <laughs> now, anyone who's a Nets fan, I hope by this point, is also a rabid fan of Tiago Splitterville, Adam <laughs> Harringtonville. Last week we announced... Amare Stoudemireville, and this week we have two literal superstars coming to the bench. One meteoric rising assistant coach, um, Udeke, Ime Udeke, I think? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, former head coach, basically hall of, almost certainly a Hall of Fame head coach, Mike D'Antoni. yes. Uh, yes, very exciting. Um, wh- what are your thoughts? Oh, come on. Who cares what my thoughts are? Simon, <laughs> you're a Mike D'Antoni nut. You are a seven seconds or less fanatic. We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it again this week. You're a son's head. You're a D'Antoni stan. What does it mean to you that maybe one of the most admired coaches in the entire league, has decided to forego coaching himself and instead get to video splicing for Steve Nash. <laughs> That's right. That's right. As And I cannot take credit for this. This is William's joke. But basically, it's very funny to think of a 69-year-old uh, video boy, Mike D'Antoni, Coming right. in with the clips. Hall of Fame head coach Mike D'Antoni at 69 years of age. <laughs> what he's willing to do is going to put in the long hours. He's going to grind it out just hoping to get that opportunity of making it back into the driver's seat on the coaching front. <laughs> yeah. uh, Adam, uh, I say, it says I'm supposed to – it says it's not loading. Uh, it says, what's my uh, username again on this, Steve? Uh, Adam, you want to help me out on that one, boy? <laughs> He That's does my have very a fantastic, bad accent. Yeah, fantastic yeah. accent. He's from uh, he's from West Virginia, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, come on now, I, I can't get it. Um, <laughs> keep saying, <laughs> keep saying, I have the wrong credentials. How about Hall of Fame head coach? Why does he? Have, why do those credentials not let him not have to be video guy for this team? I'm I'm a two time MVP. <laughs> I coach of the year over here. How come Microsoft don't let me load my PowerPoint? Um, okay, anyway, sorry. Sorry, folks. We This is the analysis you've come to crave. Is us doing an impression of Mike D'Antoni as a, the film guy. Um, okay. So thank you for that setup, William. Uh, I am, you know, I you you have 
much to your credit, helped me sort of ground myself in in reality most of the times with with Nets news. And you actually have a a great take that I'm sure we'll get to that further does that. But uh, even even on on this thing. But I I have to tell you, William, I I cannot suppress my incredible uh, enthusiasm for this move, for these moves. You know, it it is, as you said, you know, a, a... journey back into some of the the happiest sports memories of my life uh getting amari nash and now dan tony together i mean i was i was would have been very happy to have dan tony as our head coach um and now he is our assistant coach dealing with the offense i think that that will be really useful um you know he gone i think will be the days of us not being able to get an inbounds play together um, I think that, you know, he has an amazing offensive mind and I think with some exceptions like in LA, um, he is basically, he, he has a track record of being very flexible in terms of his, w- what the players he's working with can do, right? Like the James Harden offense is nothing like what the Steve Nash offense was, but both are highly, highly effective. Um, and so I think, I have great faith that he will be able to maximize our, our offense um, on the uh, Udeke um, front. I must admit, I don't know anything about him other than when he was, I you know read some stuff about him when he was rumored to be one of the coaching candidates. Um, but it sounds like he at least has some idea of what to do on defense, which, which I think is an important thing to have and was rumored to, to be, you know, in the coaching conversations for a bunch of different jobs and Kevin O'Connor, who knows more than you or I about basketball has, you know, says he's one of the best, you know, assistant coaches out there. So I believe him so i'm very excited to see that um and i just think it'll be so i don't know that's it's just like as as good as it could could have come out but i i yeah i, I think your your take is is important as well, well on yeah, this i mean i think you're right to say that yeah d'antoni at least from an outsider's perspective d'antoni is going to be sort of the offensive coordinator and ime udoka is going to be the um defensive coordinator. Now, he has gotten, Ime Adoka has been highly lauded for his defensive acumen, and in all the <clears throat> all the things I've seen written about him recently since the announcement that he's coming to the Nets, praise him for uh, having been the architect of the Sixers defense last year, which was the eighth best in the league. Uh, eighth best defense. I think the Nets would be extremely lucky if they had the eighth best defense <laughs> in the year. But I think conversely, the Sixers last year going into the season, uh, many, many, many people thought they had the potential to be a defensive juggernaut that basically the league hadn't seen since like early 2000s Pistons, you know, like that was going to be the identity of that team. That was going to be the bread and butter of that team. And they were just going to be so monstrous on defense that they, they had a real, you know, by many, my many people projected them to be uh, title favorites at the beginning of the season. Um, And to then have that result in eighth, while again, Good. 
you know, better than a little over two-thirds of the league, uh, still not a, a disappointment if you're looking at it in the context of this should have been the number one defense in the league. So I don't know, I don't know how much of the um, praise for that, uh, using that eighth best defense as an accomplishment, I don't think really accurately um, reflects that maybe that isn't really an accolade of his. Now, the the take I think that you're referring to, Simon, could probably be reduced to the uh, the old saying, "Too many cooks in the kitchen." <laughs> <laughs> and I think at this point, in addition to um, KD and Kyrie, who obviously have a pretty big impact on what happens on the court and a big say in how things are going to look and feel on this team. Mm-hmm. You've also got Steve Nash's former co-superstar, Amare Stoudemire, on the bench. You have his former coach, head coach on the bench, again, Hall of Famer, probably not a grinding uh, video guy, as we joked he was. <laughs> and Ime Udoka, who was linked uh, in rumors to basically be head coach in almost every opening that was around this year. So that is from, again, you could view that as, you know, you could never have too much talent, right? But yeah. for a first-time head coach, which Steve Nash is, I think it is a monumentally big ask of him that he somehow find a way to effectively manage so many people who arguably um, <laughs> should be in control Instead of him, you know, I mean, especially in in Mike D'Antoni's case. But, you know, uh, uh, Amari Stoudemire was just as big of a star as Steve Nash and has as much experience coaching as Steve Nash does. Ime Adoka has way, way, way more experience than him um, and has ambitions of being a head coach. Plus, you have Kyrie and KD in the mix. And that just, to me, is a recipe for potentially being a, a really difficult situation for Steve to assert um, control and and to find a way to manage what must be pretty outsized egos on a lot of those guys. Yeah, and I'll, I'll throw in two things. One, I'll, I'll get to, to a positive spin on on that or, 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 or a path forward because I do think that that is definitely something to reckon with. Um but but um, first, an additional thing, Jacques Vaughn. Oh my God! Is I totally also, forgot about also, Jacques Vaughn. Yes, the next head coach at the end of last season. Right, and it's also like at, at the end of the year, or, or rather, when um, Steve Nash was hired, it was like, oh, but he's got his man, Jacques Vaughn, who's basically going to be co-coach. You know, he's right there with him, and now it's like, okay, D'Antoni's running the O, uh, Udeka's getting the the D, and Jacques Vaughn. I mean, five and three in the bubble, buddy. That was amazing. Uh, you know, you really <laughs> oh, maximize in the that playoffs. Team. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not totally clear what his role will be, even though he's been billed as like lead assistant. You know, whatever. Um, so here, here's how I would hope that things break down so that they are manageable. 
one, you, you tell Mikey D, look, buddy, like we need your expertise. We need your X's and O's. We need your ideas coming into timeouts. We need your ideas for overall formulation of the offense. You are an offensive genius. Go at it. Then we tell uh, Ime, you know, you're you're totally the defense guy. All on you. I don't know anything about defense. I know how to get blown by on defense. That's all you. I'll I'll take your lead on that. Amari is the big man coach, um, which is interesting, and, and we'll talk about I think in a sec when we talk about Stevie Nash's uh, uh, press conference. If we're talking about that, but anyway, um, and, and, and then um, with Jacques Vaughn, I I would imagine that he will be. If I'm just this is just a a totally uneducated guess, but I suspect that. Given what he was able to do in the bubble, one thing that I think he's good at is knowing the players that are on this team now and how to fully maximize to a degree that, you know, I, I don't think uh, Kenny Atkinson was able to do, really maximize what they were able to do. We saw Jared Allen do things he had never done before, right, in terms of passing and in terms of of uh, rebounding and guarding on the perimeter. We saw Karis LeVert go, become a 10-assist-a-game guy. Um, and be able to operate out of the post, which we really had not seen much of. So I think he really understands the players that he's been working at, working with better than any other coach on, on the staff. So maybe that could be uh, his role. That's that's the hope is that they I each have that. their own niche. I, lo- I love that. Yes, if, if he is able to, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure these conversations have been had. Uh, but yeah, to clearly sort of define everybody's lane, everybody's role on the team. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I just imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's not hard to imagine um, no. h- how perhaps that's too too much talent in one room. Yes, I mean, well, and and to your point, just to underscore, there are three people on Steve Nash's bench that want to be head coaches and think they should be head coaches, and if he's fired could be head coach. Right. Now, you know, that said, um, I remember last year when the Lakers um, hired their, like, third-choice Frank Vogel, right? And then they hired um, Phil Handy and guys like that, but also mm-hmm. Jason Kidd on the bench. They're like, oh, they're just they're, – the clock is ticking on, on Vogel. He's going to – Jason Kidd's obviously just going to take over after three disastrous months, and then they go on to win the championship. Um, right. That said, Frank – Vogel is a proven head coach. I mean, Steve Nash doesn't have any experience as a head coach. But I like your optimistic breakdown, and in my continued resolve to remain positive, uh, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. Great. Um, <laughs> and turn now to the Athletics big trade article. Oh, so, yeah. friend of the show, Alex Schiffer. And uh, friend of the show, if he wants to be, John Hollinger, we'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd have him on if he, if he ever cared to join us, um, sat down and talked about some trade proposals for the Nets this season. I thought this was a fantastic article, lots of interesting trades, some of which we have mentioned iterations of um, in, in previous podcasts. 
And, you know, can't recommend going back and checking out some of those trade episodes enough. They are uh, classics, each and every one of them. But I thought we could just run through these trades, Simon, and you can give, and, I, and I'll give a quick reaction to any of them. I, I basically had four categories for the, for the trades. Love, like, okay, and hate. I only hated okay. one of them. Um, but, yeah, we can just run through and, and give our impression of each of these trades. So first sure. one would be us trading with the lowly Atlanta Hawks. And we would be giving up Jared Allen, Rodion's Kuruts, and this year's 19th pick in the draft for... Drum roll, please. John Collins. Uh, for me, Simon, this is an L-O-V-E love, 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 love trade. I am a massive John's Col- John Collins fan. Uh, I think he has insane amounts of upside. I think he's like a freakishly good, uh, at least offensive, power forward, maybe small ball center. Um, not sure, not sure how he stacks up defensively. Do you know much about his defense? No, I, I don't. Let me, I can, while we're talking, I can, uh, it's okay. Up. Let's just say he's a passable defender. Yeah, I think um, that's fair. But, but, you know, we already know Jarrett is, um, getting a little dissatisfied behind, behind, um, our man, DeAndre. Not to mention, I don't think Jared Allen is nearly as good as John Collins. Yep. Um, Rodion's, you know, maybe it's time we move on. I, I'm hopeful for him if he stays on the team, but uh, last season was a huge disappointment. And the 2021st, I don't know. I, I, I just can't, I've already kissed that thing goodbye at this point. Yeah, me too. Me like, too. I, just, I see almost no chance of us holding on to it. So if that has to be thrown in, whatever. So basically, we're you know you could if you if you wanted to um, willfully delude yourself, say this is a Jared Allen for John Collins trade, and uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, now that I say that, Jared Allen could be really important defensively for the Nets this year. Um, and John Collins, I think, probably isn't going to help nearly as much as Jared Allen defensively. So starting to look worse the more I, I talk about it. But anyway, I'm going to stick with my <laughs> initial reaction. Love, 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 love. Yeah, I like it, too. Just to follow up, John Collins is a point five one plus uh defensive real plus minus which to me strikes me as maybe he's even better because the hawks are so bad at defense Mm -hmm. and we're a pretty terrible team overall so hard to get positive uh, anything yeah no totally okay great and and your take on this one uh love it love it as well okay um i yes i i really like john collins too i think he's he's he is a significantly better player than Jarrett. um and yeah, what we're giving up are things besides Jared Allen are things that I too have. I mean, like if Rody, I'm not going to let Rody stand in the way of like a, a good trade. No, you know absolutely. I mean? And I think the 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 one thing would be I don't I'm not totally sure why the Hawks would do this since they got Clint Capella. Yep. Um, who Jared Allen is sort of uh, I don't know. Guess the poor man's version of. Yeah. But. Um, Hey, if they're into it, I'm into it. Next trade. It starts with a name you're going to hear a lot in these trades. Torian Prince. 
<laughs> and Jean and Musa would be sent out to the Rockets for Eric Gordon. Mm. Now, this for me, Simon, is a like. It's not a love. It's a like. Now, great in that we get off Torian Prince. Yeah. Fine in that we get off the hunchback of Notre Musa. <laughs> and... Um, you know, Eric Gordon had a really bad season last year, right? <laughs> He's also yeah. got, in, in addition to a really coming off a really bad season, a really pretty hefty contract mm-hmm. extension that he just got. Though I do think the last year is um, a team option or something. But that said, peak Eric Gordon. If you want to uh, convince yourself that that's coming back, it would be great on this team. He's a guy who can very much play off ball, uh, get you tons of tons of buckets. He's a sharp shooting three guy. I think he can play some defense. Got some girth. You might you must like that. If you're, I know you're a um, semi Ojale guy, just for exclusively <laughs> for girth purposes. Well, Eric Gordon's got himself some girth too. At okay. least he's got a pudgy face. I don't know if he's actually girth. Girthy. Okay. Um, Face girthy? Yeah, I don't know. This is starting to get gross how I'm talking about Eric Gordon. But anyway, uh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I, I like this one. I think okay. that Eric Gordon would potentially do a lot more for us than uh, the bus that is Torian Prince and John and Musa. Yeah. Um, I guess I, yes, similar to what you said, I'm very worried about that contract. Yeah. Um, but also says he's six three and two fifteen. But you're right, he plays small forward. So I I, I really don't know. I, I I'm gonna give myself a um, incomplete on this because I really don't know enough about Eric Gordon um, to really have have an opinion. But I I would say that contract is okay. A bit worrying. Um. Oh, happy Halloween, listeners. Yes, spooky. Uh, happy Halloween, witches. <laughs> I am not wearing that shirt tonight, though I should. Yeah. Um, all right. Next trade sends your boy Torian Prince and Spencer Dinwiddie to Sacramento for Buddy Heald. Mm-hmm. I'm a like. Okay. Big time like. I think Buddy Heald would, again, fit the really well on this team. I think he might be the best fit we've talked about thus far. He is a sharpshooting three three ball shooter mm-hmm. um and yes he has kind of a big contract uh i'm not really sure i've never really heard much about his defense being terribly good and he would be a touch redundant if we hold on to joe harris but i think yeah i just i just like i like his shooting yeah, I to me this is a a go 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 if we do not re-sign Joe Harris. Yeah. Um cuz I think we definitely need someone like Joe Harris on our team. I like you said would be wary of paying both Joe Harris and Buddy Heald mm-hmm. because I don't think as John Hollinger says in this like you can really play them together very much. Agree. Um yeah. So one of them would be coming off the bench and making a good amount of money. Right. And I don't think Buddy Heald, uh, Buddy Heald does not seem to take to coming off the bench for a while. <laughs> no. 
All right, next one, Simon. Torian Prince, Rodion Kurutz, a 2021 second rounder for, drumroll please, Rudy Gay of the <laughs> San Antonio Spurs. This is the one I absolutely <laughs> abhor. I hate it. Mm. This is the stinkiest, worst-sounding, awful contract. I, I mean, not contract, trade. I could possibly imagine. I don't like Prince. I sort of, uh, you know, I I am tantalized occasionally by Kurutz. Our 2021 second, I don't give a shit about at all. But I'll tell you what I care about even less than a 2021 second rounder, <laughs> and that is a Rudy Gay. <laughs> really? Yep. T- sell me on him, Simon. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, he was a waiver wire godsend for me um, <laughs> a couple of years back. Um, no, I mean, he is another, like, I, I have a lust for, it's a semi-ogile type, like big, girthy wing, (laughs) um, who is actually not very good at shooting threes. Uh, it turns out from looking at it, but he, it seems like he is. (laughs) Okay. If you. If you think about him in your mind, when I think about him in my mind, I think, okay, that guy is a good three-point shooter. But He's really close in age to you. That's nice. Yes, I really like that. Um, That's what I look for most in my NBA basketball (laughs) Right. right. Generational affinity. (laughs) We can talk – what's a show that I came of age watching? Um, Ninja Turtles. Um, Sure. Tomcats. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I just, you know, again, wing, big, big, beefy, tough, gritty wing. He was he's from Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in the thing. <laughs> All right. Next trade. Spencer Dinwiddie, Jarrett Allen. You know this has got to be for something juicy, folks. Spencer Dinwiddie, Jarrett Allen, two of our biggest trade chips, if not our two biggest trade chips. Torian Prince, this year's 19th pick, and all that for Drew Holiday. Simon, we've talked about iterations of this very trade countless times. Anyone who has a pulse... Uh, and is following the NBA is aware that Drew Holiday is arguably the biggest name out there on the trade market today. Um, we have talked about, again, countless different iterations of what it would take to get him on this team. Basically, every fan base who wants a big piece is talking about various iterations they could give up to get Drew Holiday. What do you think of that package? you think it's worth it? Would you do it? Do you think the Nets would have a competitive package if it included a 19th pick, Jared Allen and Dinwiddie, with the poison pill of Torian Prince? Or what? what's your take? Yeah, my, my take is I, I, if I'm the Nets, would take that trade 10,000 times out of 10,000. But I don't think, as you just said, the the Pelicans who know that Drew Holiday is, is one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in, in, in Tradesville, would take that package. Like the, the, the idea that they would take – I understand you do it for salary reasons, but the idea that they would take Torian Prince while they ship out Drew Holiday right. to me is un, – unless you sweeten that with a lot of dra- – more draft compensation, at least one more first-round pick. 
Um, and I don't know that the Pelicans would want that, but you would need to do something to, to, to help them eat that um, contract as well as like Spencer Dinwiddie is not is not someone who has the lure of of Karis Levert, though I'm sure, as we've talked about, a lot of teams don't want Karis Levert. But if you are a Karis Levert fan, you're probably a stronger fan than you are of Spencer. Yeah. I don't don't really see that being the best package that New Orleans is going to hear about this this offseason. But, yeah, yeah, I'd I'd be fine with that happening. Absolutely. Uh, next one, Simon, is a one that I is one that I L O V E love. <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie, straight up for two players on the Los Angeles Clippers, Patrick Beverly and Landry Shamit. Uh, I'm all in for this one. I think Pat Beverly brings, as we've discussed, huge defensive upside for us, and. and in a thing that we desperately, desperately need. And old Landry Shamit can come off the bench and, if he looks radically different than he did in this year's playoffs, hit a bunch of threes. <laughs> I mean, he's a youngie, right? There, yeah, it's know, a second, gonna... it was his second year. His, yeah. uh, he's, he's good. I, I mean, I think he's, he's going to be a good shooter in the league for a long time. I think he, I think he was one of those people who who um, came to the bubble late for possibly because of COVID, maybe something else, um, and just never got got into the rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love this trade, too. Um, I would definitely do it. Okay, great. Uh, and final trade, Torian Prince, obviously. <laughs> Jared Allen, Karis Levert. Uh-oh, this is going to be big, folks. <laughs> the 2021 and 2023 first, which, you know, let's fingers crossed won't be that good, for Bradley Beal. Is that a godfather package for you, Simon? Um, I mean, I... I no, <laughs> I mean to, to, for the Nets, like that's a good package that the Nets can offer, right? And and I and I bet they would even include an even further out, like a twenty twenty five pick, mm-hmm. um, which I think, if I'm the the Wizards, I at least consider heavily because that's around the time that the Nets will likely be quite bad. Um, you know what I mean? I, that that pick could be quite valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, as could, as could the 2023 pick, um, if that things go to shit. 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just kidding, folks. I mean, you know, who knows? But, but I still think that there will be stronger packages out there. Um, just because Bradley Beal is all, is all you hear about, um, in terms of dream, dream trade, um, I mean, I just, I love the Bradley Beal speculation in spite of his very consistent um, insistence that he is not leaving, at least before the season. Yeah. But hey, dream on, right? Yeah. And I did see something for all you Bradley Beal heads out there. Um, I saw um, his, him talking to old man in the threes, um, which is uh, JJ Redick and another guy. Um, (laughs) And it, it was the most 
I have seen anyway of him saying, you know, as, as you said, definitely right now he doesn't want to be traded. He's not talking about wanting to be traded, but he is saying like, you know, I signed my last contract because I thought they could build around me. Interesting. I wonder what John Wall thinks about that. And that, you know, they, uh, that I want to, they know that I want to win and they have to show me that they're committed to winning. So it's not, he's not saying an open ended that that was not the same as what we've seen. Like, you know, I hope I retire as a wizard. I love, you know, being a wizard, blah, blah, blah. That, that was a very like, you are on the clock wizards. Yeah. Kind of. I think that the fact that he was neither an all-star nor an all NBA player this year, in spite of just putting up jaw droppingly good offensive numbers, uh, could have perhaps impacted his willingness to remain (laughs) on this wizards team. indefinitely. I know that also very publicly his, um, his partner, has protested these things very publicly on Twitter and Instagram. So clearly, you know, there's discontent in the Beal home about his lack of recognition. And what way to get better recognition than going to a team that actually matters? Right. So speaking of trade, Simon, you you sent me a tweet, as you sometimes do. (laughs) It read, Spencer Dinwiddie continues to tease fans on a possible move that won't have him returning to Brooklyn next season. Is he not mm-hmm. coming back? What does he know that we don't know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what he doesn't know. Um, <laughs> he, But it, it is interesting, and I just want to be honest with our listeners here. This is as pure a speculation as, as possible, but... I, for one, find it interesting because, first of all, he 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 says something like, um, "Let me see what the tweet says." He he it's like it's a picture of him giving like a shrug face, or no, no, he he he's like he's got his hand on his chin, like he's sort of unsure about something, and then the caption is, "Eh, well, I mean." Dot, 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 which could mean anything, to be fair. But people are in the comments saying, like, oh, don't leave, you know, Brooklyn or if they trade you, you know, that'll be terrible. And he's not responding like that's not what I meant or, you know, I just thought this was a funny picture. And and he also had some other thing, um, some other recent comment on Instagram that was like, well, the journey comes and it ends and you can't do anything about it or something. Anyway. I I am sort of this is sort of piquing my belief that maybe if it's true that the Nets are really hesitant to part with um Karis Levert, um that that Spencer could be the one on the, huh. on the Yeah, well obviously neither of us know anything definitively, um and this is pure speculation, but on the Brian Windhorse podcast, he he made some comment that basically said, you know, we don't know the date that free agency begins technically, but he's already aware of at least one trade that is – it's not official, obviously, because it can't legally be official, but one trade is done, huh. uh, or at least one trade is done. 
So I'm not saying that that is definitely a Nets trade and that that uh-huh. trade involves Spencer Dinwiddie, but I think that it's not beyond the realm of imagination that Spencer Dinwiddie is aware of, uh, you know, a deal perhaps that is is uh, ready to be made as soon as they can formally do so. Right, right. Which is tantalizing to think about. He also uh, prophesied a lockout. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, he had a very long tweet about um, revenue projections and about the new sort of crazy escrow that um, the Mm. percent escrow that that people are going to have to be players, not people, players um, are going to have to be putting aside to be split, you know, um, to either be given back to the owners at the end of the season or not. And um, his argument was basically that the uh, bearing the weight, like co-responsibility for the for COVID and the Daryl Morey China fiasco was not at all a 50-50 split and that the players ended up covering the entire loss of that by mm. essentially having more of their money go into escrow, which they will then never see. Um, and he concludes that breakdown, uh, that financial breakdown with this line. Welp, hopefully there's no lockout. <laughs> Which, yeah, um, that's interesting. Yeah, which I hadn't, I haven't heard much about. But the NBA did roll out their announcement that they wanted the season to begin on the twenty second. There has been grumbling, I think, from front offices and players alike at the quickness of that turnaround, especially for teams like the Heat and the Lakers. Um, and obviously, if LeBron has doesn't want to start the season that early, that's that's a pretty big deal for the league. Um, and then it was all supposed to be wrapped up by yesterday, Friday, October 30th. And um, Michelle Roberts, the head of the MBPA, MBAPA, <coughs> um, said about midweek to Shams that they don't consider Friday a date when there's going to be a resolution on this. And if that's the case, you know, we're really, really pushing it. Uh, because it's uh, a month and a half away. sounds like the players are more interested in doing um, January, uh, Martin Martin Luther King Day. Um, So we'll see. I don't know if if Spencer is just speaking for himself or if he's had conversations with other players who see the whole um, escrow negotiations as a potential sticking point that might lead to a lockout, but... Uh, anyway, just sort of like a very random, very Spencer-like thing to say that could uh, foretell something like that happening. Yeah. I, can I give you my quick, quick take on this? I, I, I kind of feel like the, the players, when there are sort of these sticking points or whatever, sort of act like the uh, the... Uh, you know, there, there's always like this group of Republican senators who, who like at the beginning of any sort of controversy where that where Democrats are like, maybe we can peel off a couple of Republicans, right? Like the Lisa Murkowski's, um, 
and uh, the Susan Collinses who like initially are like, well, I'm a bit troubled by the idea of this, blah, blah. I might right. vote against Kavanaugh, but they, you know, they're right. always, they always <laughs> they inevitably fall in, fall in line. Yeah. And I think that players will eventually fall in line. Um, I'm not saying that's good or that they should. I'm certainly not saying that, but I, but I think that that's typically how, how these things have gone. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I have no idea how those negotiations are going. I do think, <laughs> I obviously think that, um, that I don't know, I guess I don't know enough about the way that the escrow works to know, like, for sure that the players are getting screwed. But if uh, the NBA is anything at all like the rest of our capitalist society, I would imagine that the people doing the work are probably getting screwed, whereas the owners are finding ways to continue to profit. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think we're, we'd be would be on their side, but I, I agree. It I would I would bet that there isn't a lockout because there's yeah. just so much at stake, and this is yeah any any revenue coming in for this thing during this time seems like a a win for people, but yeah, but who knows? All right, last thing we're gonna get to is the virtual event that um, quote unquote we went to. <laughs> on Tuesday, uh, I and Eagle interviewed Steve Nash. We thought it was a thing that was for the block, and we mentioned it in our last episode. Um, it was not. It was for all-season ticket holders, and we were just lumped in. There was no way for us to ask questions unless you were watching it on Facebook Live, which was a bridge too far. It was, for those of you who didn't, um, take the time out to see it. it was one of the most boring interviews imaginable <laughs> Ian Eagle did his um, honest best to force Steve Nash to be at all charming or funny or engaging or interesting but Steve Nash managed to uh, keep the platitudes flowing throughout and it was a generally extremely um, dull hour where you heard nothing that you know you haven't already heard reported in any previous steve nash statement um like he he asked uh never mind i won't go there um but we did get an email from a listener Dwayne, to ask nash uh he said i was thinking a good question might be how coach sees Amari Stoudemire's role on the coach's bench or which position or player he envisions helping him the most. Sorry, Dwayne, we were not able to ask Steve that question. We didn't have uh, (laughs) the access. We kind of were hinted that we might have in the initial email. Um, But Simon, how would you, how would you answer that? I know, I know you're the best Steve Nash surrogate I know, so. I'd like to. I'd like to hear you assume. So, so assume a really boring personality and give me the answer right now. You got it. Uh, I'll, I'll use some corporate synergistic uh, right. lingo for you. Um, Talk about optimizing workflows. Right. So, I I just think so. Here here is that that question actually gets at a bit of what I did think was somewhat interesting was when Steve Nash was talking about. The defense, the one sort of principle he laid out was rim protection. Not that rim protection is a new thing or anything. Lots Every team cares about that. But the idea that that would be the one thing that he was talking about and sort of a cornerstone of it 
made me think that they are going to – that they could potentially be thinking about keeping Jarrett, um, at least for this year. And um, because there's no one better on the Nets and there's no one better in the league, I don't think that you're going to get for $4 million right. that's going to be better at rim protection than Jarrett. And they also brought on to, – to, to Dwayne's point here, they brought on Amari as a big man coach – um, there's no better big man on this team than Jared Allen, who's also young and, and could develop. Um, so I don't know. It made me think maybe he's he, maybe they're thinking of keeping him too. Yeah, he know. also said some nice things about Jared Allen's play during the bubble and yes. how he was able to get out and defend in a more versatile way, play, you know, step out to the line, how he moved his feet, things like that. So seemed positive on Jared in a way that may, might foretell he does get to play uh, – Another season with the Brooklyn Nets, which I hope is the case. Big Jarrett Allen fan. Simon, uh, could you tell people where they might find us online, rate and review and whatnot? Yes, you've got to rate, review us anywhere you're getting your podcast, particularly Apple Podcasts. Uh, Give us five stars, please. Um, We're certainly not asking you to give us your um, honest opinion if it is a low opinion. Um, just, just the high opinions, please. Just the high and, opinions. And, uh, you can follow us, uh, at maybe next time on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, probably not really Facebook, just do the Instagram and the Twitter. Um, and send us your thoughts, your comments, your questions. Um, to maybe next time at gmail.com. Yeah. Let us know what your favorite basketball movie is. Simon, sure. what's yours? Uh, Space Jam. Mine's Hoop Dreams. Oh, boy. And with that, folks, we will go ahead and see you next time. I was tired of my lady. We'd been together too long. Like a worn-out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, I read the paper in bed. And in the personal columns, there was this letter I read. If you like King of